Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so excited that you are joining me today for an interview with my new friend, Lindsay Pollock. And Lindsay is a New York Times bestselling author, a keynote speaker, and one of the world's leading experts on millennials and the multi-generational workplace. Her latest book is The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace. And it's all about how leaders and organizations must embrace the new ways of working that appeal to the digital first generations, as well as still working with previous generations as well. And I am excited to dig into this topic. So Lindsay, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for that nice introduction. Yeah, you're welcome. Great to have you on. We were just chatting briefly. I think I came across your name through Liz Weissman, who is uh, wildly popular within the talent development world. And I was definitely intrigued by this topic, am or have been being a facilitator out in the world, working with a lot of organizations on talent development. I feel like the multi-generational challenges come up a lot in how do the older generations deal with these newer digital first generations. There used to be a lot of complaints about millennials. I don't hear that quite as much anymore now that they're the largest percentage of the workforce, right? But I'm curious, how, how did all this come about? How did you become this multi-generational expert on the workplace? I know it's a weird question, right? How do you get that title? Um, I didn't mean to is the short answer. Um, My very first job out of college was at a magazine called Working Woman, which had started a website in the late 90s where I worked and I absolutely loved it. I was really interested in career development, wanted to have my own business someday, was just really gung-ho on the topic. And I would probably still be working there, but it went out of business in 2001. And while I was, quote, job hunting, I started freelance writing and blogging and giving workshops to college students, writing resumes, really anything I could do in that space. And I accidentally started my business about 17 years ago. And what was interesting was I really thought that I was going to be a writer. I really love long-form writing. I ghost wrote a lot of books. I wrote a lot of association newsletters, just real freelance stuff. And what I found was every time I spoke, I was just so energized and loved it. And every time I would give a speech to even like a Girl Scout troop, you know, about how to sell more cookies, they would invite me back. 
And I started to research careers in speaking. And because I was very young in my 20s, I spoke to high school and college students about how to get a job. I wrote my first book called Getting From College to Career. And that was the business. There's a really good market for college campus speakers. I got to travel a lot, go to campuses. It was great. And then in 2008, I got my first call from a corporation. It was when the word millennial sort of exploded onto the scene. You can even look at you know the Google rankings of that word over time. It was around the election of Barack Obama when it really kind of hit the mainstream. And this company called me and said, can you speak to us about millennials? And like any good entrepreneur, as you know, Andy, I said, yes, of course I do that. <laughs> it's absolutely on my offerings and I Excellent. made it up. Yep. And what happened was I just became fascinated by this topic. I myself am a Gen Xer. And I was thinking, well, why aren't the millennials different from me? Why was I different from the previous generation? Kind of dug in, very self-taught on this topic. That was now 10, 11 years ago. And then over the past couple of years, as I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, the attention on millennials really lasted about a decade. And then my clients, corporate and universities, started to say, well, now we're seeing Gen Zs. Now traditionalists are working longer than ever. And so that kind of drew me to the multi-generational topic. Right. Yeah. So interesting. And I like how you dove right in and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can definitely talk about this. <laughs> Always. And that's how, that's how the best entrepreneurs get started. And I'm getting some opportunities like that and doing that as well. And I was going to say, I think it's worth pointing out, you know, you talked about working in the 90s, that uh, you're definitely not a millennial, right? And so you're not necessarily coming from the standpoint of, hey, look at me and this is how we work. You're saying, look, I come from Gen X, which sort of spans... It's a smaller band, right? And bridges that gap, I feel like, between the old way of doing things with the boomers and the greatest generation and then into this digital generation. So I'm glad you brought that up. I am a Gen Xer. Gen Xers are born between 1965 and 1980. I was born in 74, so kind of right in there. Millennials are born 1981 to 96, and boomers are 46 to 64. And as you said, boomers are the largest generation ever born into the US. Millennials are right there with them. And Xers are this little tiny strip. They called us the baby bust when we were born after the boomers. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm an Xer and so interested in this topic, particularly with the multi-generational piece, because Xers in a way have had to kind of be bilingual. We're sort of the bridge, the translators. We had to adapt to the very, very large boomer generation in order to survive in the workplace. And now in the second half of our careers, we've had to adapt to the millennials. So you know, as I've learned more about the topic, I think my Gen X perspective actually makes a lot of sense that I was drawn to this topic. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, some of those years you hear it described a little bit differently. I was born in 1980, so right you're a on cusper. the cusp. You're a cusper. Of X and and I was always like, where do I? I always think of it more as a mindset issue, and I just felt more like a millennial. Interesting. Um, then I found this great article one day. That said, people born between 78 and 84 are zennials. So we actually <laughs> bridge the gap between X and millennial. And I've sort of embraced that. And with the idea that I think we have to mention and keep in mind, right, that people are people, everybody's different. It's not like everybody within a certain generation, oh, if you were born in 78, then you're different than somebody born in 1982. But as time goes on, people tend to change. And one of the biggest influences on how we live and how we work has been the internet and this digital age that came about, you know, really when I was a teenager in the 90s. And then, of course, as younger millennials have come along and Gen Z was completely born into a world where everybody had smartphones and the internet at their disposal. And it's just very different from the world that many of us grew up in. That's exactly right. 
all people are people. We are far more alike than we are different as generations. I always acknowledge that. I think it's important and different individuals in a different generation are unique. That said, where I really focus my energy and that of my clients is the expectations you bring to the workplace are impacted by the times in which you were raised. So for example, as you said, Gen Xer, I'm going to expect to have a telephone on my desk, right? Because I grew up with a telephone. That was a communication tool. I might expect that I'm going to work you know, a certain number of hours because that's what I was born into. My daughter is seven. So she's on the young end of Gen Z. My daughter recently walked into a hotel room. We were in Maine on vacation. And she walks into this hotel room that she's never been in and says into the air, Alexa, what's the weather? <laughs> and I thought... Her expectation is that every room she walks into has an artificial intelligence right. listening device. So that to me is just a classic. She's a person. I raised her. We are flesh and blood. Right. But I would never expect that a room would have that. She's going to walk into your company someday yep. and have that expectation because of her generation. So is she a person? Does she have her own unique personality? Of course. But that expectation of what the workplace will have and how people will communicate with you and technology, as you said, is a big piece of it. That's where I really focus my energy. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast. It's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. That's such an interesting way of thinking about things, you know, the voice-activated search and the expectations that people have and you know, those of us who still know how to use those corded phones. Although strangely enough, my children are three and five. And for some reason, they have no problem picking up a corded phone. They know exactly what to do with it. I think it's amazing. (laughs) Phone is a phone, I guess, even though we don't have any in our house. And I've often thought recently about the big divide, really. I was talking with some other, they were mostly Gen Xers recently at a client site. But the big divide in my mind is, were you born before or after everyone started carrying a cell phone in their hand? Right. And is your expectation that you have this instant communication and it changes how people communicate? Right. So I like what you're saying there because what you're talking to companies about is everybody, people are people, but when they come into the workplace, they have different expectations. That's going to affect how they show up, what they expect you to deliver to them as an employer. So I'm curious, what was the impetus behind this book? Does that connect to this book, the remix? It absolutely does. So what happened was I was really focusing heavily on millennials. I was kind of one of the early quote, you know, millennial experts, which is great. And I loved it. Millennials have gotten older. Like this funny thing about studying age is first, everybody like you immediately tells me their age, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) People always reveal that to me. Um, And the second thing is that as people get older, our, you know, attention starts to shift. And now millennials are in their mid to late 30s, you know, on the high end, we have a millennial running for president for the first time. So 
the conversation has shifted from kind of who are these aliens from another planet and how do we communicate with them to, oh, I guess they're still here and now everybody's included. What really started to interest me, because I just obsessively read about this topic, is you know we've had young people come in and be confounding for all of human history. What's interesting is that people on the older end are working longer. So a lot of people don't realize we have more Americans age 85 and older in the workplace before than ever in history. So think Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Rupert Murdoch, Warren Buffett, they're all over 85 and still incredibly influential. Boomers are working longer. Gen Xers are planning to work longer, you know, in many ways because of the recession of 2008, but often just because they want to. And because they want to keep contributing and they want to stay relevant. So you saw this expansion, certainly in the early end, as we always have, but now it was going longer and longer. So the, the kind of stat that started the book was that we now, for the first time ever, have five distinct generations in the workplace. And I'll, I'll just give you the quick backstory on the title, The Remix. I was trying to think of a metaphor for this being a good thing, (laughs) because a lot of people don't see it that way. And I wanted to have an optimistic view. And I was talking about the mixing of the generations a lot. And and we started to get towards the idea of remix. And obviously, a remix song is when you take a classic and you mix in modern elements. And what I liked about that is you're not saying the classic is wrong, right? Or should be replaced. You're saying that it needs to be mixed with something modern. So I started interviewing DJs because I wanted to really understand this concept. I didn't want to just use a musical term and not get it. And DJ after DJ told me that a little secret of DJing, if any of you out there are planning to play music at a party, is if you have an empty dance floor, the trick is to play a remix because the older people in the crowd know the classic and they dance and the younger people know the modern version and they dance. So everybody feels included together. So that was the metaphor that was really behind the book and really what kind of sealed the idea of how people could see this as a positive. So the remix is the trick to getting people out onto the dance floor. Use it as you need. Weddings, parties, bar mitzvahs, birthdays, all purpose. (laughs) You know, the remix, and I love all the remixes of, you know, classic songs. I think, you know, this is maybe going too far off, but Weezer's remix of Africa, Toto's Africa, is one of the best remixes and songs I've ever heard. I'm obsessed with it. My daughter knows that. She likes it. But we need that in the workplace as well, right? Because companies that get stagnant, especially now, as we recorded this in 2019, the rate of change has never been faster than it is today. The average tenure of a Fortune 500 company is something like 19 years when it used to be 50 plus. And companies are getting disrupted all the time. And I'm going to assume that the companies that are not willing to refresh things from time to time and do a little remix are going to get stagnant and probably get disrupted. So what's your take on that? And how does that play into the multi-generational factor? One of my fears about companies feeling disrupted is they think that they have to throw away everything they used to do because we have a new generation coming in. And that could not be farther from the truth. The concept of the remix and where I really studied successful companies with multi-generational teams is that you take the best of all generations. So for example, there's been a huge rebirth of the idea of apprenticeship, right? We used to think, well, you know, everybody's just going to learn through YouTube and we're going to throw them into tutorials and give them two minutes. Like, no, sit a young person next to an older person. That's really basic because it works. The book, The One Minute Manager, which I still think is one of the, the best, most relatable ways to manage people, give them one minute of specific praise, one minute of specific correction. That book came out in 1982 it sort of had a resurgence again. The idea of mentoring, there's nothing wrong with the classic idea of mentoring that an older person shares wisdom with a younger person. 
the remix is that a lot of older people now have younger people mentoring them right back. So the concepts stay the same. And I think a good manager of people 100 years ago who was really beloved and good at managing people to performance would have the same skills today. They just might manage over Skype or they might manage in shorter sessions. They might do it in a different way, but a lot of the concepts are really the same. So the real importance here is that just because they're young people doesn't mean you have to change everything. It right. means you have to let go of some things and add some things, but then there are a lot of other things that really stay the same. Yeah, it's a balance. Don't object and complain about the ways of the newer generations coming in, but don't throw out all of that experience and expertise that we have from the older generations. And I want to go back because I'm glad you mentioned you know, Americans 85 or older working. And of course, I read this article by Josh Burson the other day on LinkedIn that said that workers 65 and older are the fastest growing segment of the workplace on a percentage basis because people are working a lot longer. So now you've got companies with probably four or five generations in the workplace. And so you're saying they need to mix things up effectively and utilize the strengths of all of those generations. What are the best companies doing well to leverage this? So, and just to see the multi-generational workplace go into your local Lowe's, right? Or Walmart. I mean, you're mm. seeing this in retail all the time is, is where I think anyone can find it. One story that I want to share with you is about companies really rethinking who they recruit for certain positions. I think, you know, remember when we sort of had this realization that men could be nurses, you know? <laughs> it was like, oh, that opens up a whole new category of people. We thought it was only women. Mm. I think you're starting to see that with age. So I read a, a great story that I put in the book about a, a community pool in Galveston, Texas where they were struggling to find lifeguards. A lot of young people no longer get summer jobs in high school because they are getting educational enrichment programs. They're traveling, they're doing unpaid internships. So they just didn't have enough applicants. And, and finally, somebody said, well, when I look at the pool, it's mostly like retirees and people in their 50s who are coming to stay fit and swim. Why don't we recruit them? And so they started actively promoting to the local AARP, putting advertisements in the newspaper, at the grocery store, in people's paper utility bills. And they started hiring people over 55. You know, the only qualification to be a lifeguard is that you're fit, you can swim, you can pass the tests and care about people's safety. And so the pool is now staffed by retirees. Why does an investment banking analyst or a law firm associate have to be 22? You know, the job, yes, it certainly can lead to a partnership in that kind of organization, but it's also a very repetitive job for somebody who likes, you know, attention to detail. Why can't you have someone in their 40s or 50s doing that sort of job? And so I think rethinking who you recruit, and obviously ageism is illegal and it's very much a reality and we can't say that, but I think people in their mind of who they think they're going to hire is very different. And the companies that have started to rethink that are finding tremendous talent in places that they never expected. So number one, I think it starts with recruiting. Mm, Okay, good point. Of course, we cannot recruit, supposed to not recruit based on age, but let's be honest, Everybody has unconscious biases. And while they may work hard to eliminate the, oh, I should hire a man or a woman, there's a lot of people still saying, we want younger people in this role because we want them to grow, especially in large professional services firms where they even force people to retire at age 60, right? And so they're wanting people to start younger to be able to work up. But you're saying some of the best companies now are looking at these jobs and saying, we don't need a 25 or a 30-year-old. It could be a 40-year-old who wants to refresh their career and start over and they bring a lot of experience and skills to the job. Exactly right. And those young people are not staying for 20, 30, 40 years to your earlier point. So if you want the job done, you want a job done well, maybe a portion of those roles go to somebody who is in an older demographic. 
Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned the lifeguard thing too. This thought that has occurred to me multiple times just over the weekend, I was on vacation and at the pool and I was thinking that lifeguards, one of the few jobs left where you just cannot look at your smartphone ever during your working hours. And so maybe that is better for older generations. That I mean, that's got to be a piece of it. Why young people don't want to do it. I absolutely think you're onto something. Yeah. I mean, you actually have to sit there with your thoughts. <laughs> and, <laughs> and pay, pay very close attention. I right, hope as a swimmer. And be ready to, to save somebody. I, I want to ask you the other side, and I'm sure you have some other best practices to share, but what are some of the big mistakes that companies are making to not you know, take advantage of the, multi, the different generations in the workplace or do it wrong? I think a really big mistake is to try to find one-size-fits-all solutions, right? One-size-fits-none. And particularly in a multi-generational workplace, in a diverse workforce, you know, however you want to slice the population, you know, a lot of people will say to me, well, what's the one benefit that everybody wants? Or what's the one training program? And the answer is there isn't one. So you have to give people options and flexibility. You know, what do people want? I get the question a lot. Do young people want open offices or do they want walls and cubicles? The answer is, I personally think that's more of a personality, introvert, extrovert. What is your job? So the answer is modular spaces, right? Flexible work environments where I can go into a phone booth one time and I can be collaborative another time. So trying to find this one ultimate solution, I really think is a recipe for unhappiness among everybody. Finding multiple options is really what I recommend, whatever that looks like in your organization. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So the mistake is trying to fit everybody into one way of working. We're going to do it this way. We're going to have an open floor plan. We're going to do meetings this way and not realizing that People are different, not only different generations, but people have different personalities. People learn different ways. And let's talk about learning because this podcast is about talent development. And a lot of our listeners are in learning and development, talent development, looking for ways to develop their people better and create a better employee experience. And I have heard numerous times studies showing that the younger generations, younger millennials, and especially Gen Z, are placing a larger value than ever on career development. They want to know where they're going with their careers. And not that older generations don't, but they may have valued security a little bit more and weren't quite as vocal about it. Are you seeing that as well? And what can companies do to adapt to that and make sure they're providing the right amount of career development? I am seeing a difference. PwC did a study where they asked millennials why they took their job. You know, what was the ultimate deciding factor? And 65% said 
for the opportunity for training and development. I took the role, you know, given two different choices, I was going to make the one where I thought I could grow more. And that was more than money, which came in at about 21%. So training and development have a currency with this generation that makes total sense if you go back to that idea of what their expectations are. Every piece of media in the world is saying, the world is going to be disrupted. A robot is going to take your job. Your industry is going to die. So which has more value to you? An extra couple thousand dollars or a job that is going to continually train you to be relevant in the workplace? It applies to everybody, right? If you're in your 50s, you're going to want something that does that as well. So companies that offer training and development, mentoring, rotational programs, mobility within the company, the companies that have always done that are doing very, very well right now. And the companies that don't have a good track record of training are really struggling. To give one example, Estee Lauder just offered every single employee the opportunity to use LinkedIn Learning paid for by the company. So what they're saying is not even, here's what we're going to train you in, but we just want you to have access to training. And I think that is so appealing to a younger worker to say, Oh, if I go into this company and I might want to shift roles, they're going to support me in that. Zappos renamed their HR department the Pipeline because they wanted you to know that they're not just going to put you in a job and leave you be. They're going to continually move you around their pipeline to keep you active and developing in your role. So again, I think that appeals to everybody, but particularly for millennials who know that there is no career ladder, that they're just going to kind of go up rung by rung. They're very, very interested. That's also good news, I think, for smaller businesses, that if you can't pay a lot, if you don't have a prestigious name, but you are going to mentor and train the young people on your team, I would really promote that as a way to attract younger workers or all workers. And do you see older generations starting to adapt to this and jump on this opportunity and want more training and development as well? Or do they still value the security and pay more than maybe the younger generations would? You know, I'm not sure in statistics if they'll say that they want it more than money. However, I have never met anyone who said, I don't want to be trained, right? I don't want to be developed. I think, you know, my belief, and it's not everybody on earth, but my belief is most people who are even somewhat career interested want to grow, right? Want to develop, want to move forward in life. And the companies that offer that, I think often mid-career professionals, if you're particularly an individual contributor, if you're not managing people, people are sort of left to languish. And if you offer them access to training and development, you know, I remember I've had, you know, you've probably had this too, when receptionists or the security team are in a training, they're thrilled to be included in opportunities for development and take advantage of it. So I think it's a win for every generation and something that we have often not offered and, you know, can be really valuable in any kind of a company. Yeah, that's great. And I think a lot of companies are trying to adapt to that, right? You mentioned LinkedIn Learning and companies are introducing micro-learning, right? Different ways that people can jump on and with the idea that, you know, hey, a lot of people just jump on YouTube or Instagram or whatever to find videos of things when they want to learn about something, they Google things, they expect things quickly. Does that devalue the idea of traditional training and development where, you know, people actually go to a program and sit in a classroom for two or three days Or is there still value in doing both of those things? So as someone who does teach those in-person programs for two or three days, I am definitely biased in my opinion, as you do, and many of your listeners, I'm sure. Again, I think the answer is to avoid one-size-fits-all solutions. I think a while back, the feeling was, well, we're just going to offer short videos to everybody and they're going to be happy. I have never received so many requests lately for full day training. I don't think I did a full day training for the past 10 years. And then suddenly it's kind of had a resurgence. So I think a lot of companies, in my experience, particularly larger companies, are really experimenting with different formats. And it kind of reminds me of the way we consume TV. 
you know, some people will sit down and binge watch 10 episodes of a show all at once. Other people are going to, you know, watch it on two times the speed on YouTube to get it quickly. Others are just going to read Twitter and see what other people said about it. I think we're starting to see that with training where if I want a quick hit, how do I do this one thing? I might watch a two minute video. But if I really want to understand how to be a better manager for my team, I might be willing to sit down for two or three day training. So I think it's the options that companies are offering to people who have different needs, who have different personalities, different moments in time. I like that concept of here's the content, but you can consume it in these 20 different ways. Yeah, really a blended learning uh, concept and, and providing many options for people. What else do you want to make sure that we pull out of your book that would be applicable, especially in the, the talent development space? What's been resonating you know, most with people as you've gone around and speaking and doing the book tour? So a lot of what I've talked about is really for people's role within an organization. I think there's a personal piece of this too that resonates with a lot of audiences um, and people I talk to after programs, which is how do you as an individual become more multi-generational in your approach? And one of the statistics that I came across in my research is that it's extremely unlikely for people to have a friend, someone they would define as a friend, who is more than 10 years older or younger than their age. So you're more likely to have a friend of a different race, of a different ethnicity, of a different religion than a friend who is more than 10 years older or younger. And by the way, 90% of people don't have that at all. So it's really uncommon outside of your family or the people you are sort of forced to work with to have that. And the people I met who do have colleagues or uh, chosen mentors and friends outside of their generation are just thriving because they have these different perspectives. So, you know, next time you go to a networking event, deliberately sit next to somebody who's 30 years older than you. Next time you're volunteering at a community event, go and stand beside or partner with someone 25 years younger than you are. It is so Mm. rare that we do that. We tend to, you know, it's probably human nature that we go to the person who seems most like us. I've tried myself and to recommend other people to deliberately not do that. And the conversations I've had, And the perspectives I've gained are so valuable because they're so different from what I would normally tell myself and what the people who are closest in generation to me tend to talk about. That is interesting. I'm sitting here as you're talking. I'm trying to listen, but I'm also analyzing my entire group of friends in my head. Take away family and colleagues who you have to work with. Right, right. Friends. Yeah. Do I have any friends I spend a lot of time with who are more than 10 years older or younger than me? And I, I don't know that I do. I mean, one of my best friends is eight years. <laughs> nope, doesn't count. Doesn't count, right? Yeah, I'm going to have to think about this. And I like that challenge to go to a networking event or go to your next company event or go to lunch or whatever it is and seek out specifically someone who is at least you know, 10, 20 years older than you, as well as maybe someone who's much younger than you and talk to them and, and gain some of their perspective. Because well, you're living in the same world. They probably have a very different perspective, different perspective on what's going on. And I'm a big fan of reverse mentoring, which I touched on briefly. So many CEOs today in particular are realizing that if they're going to run a workforce of people who are different than they are, they're going to have to know those people. So a lot of CEOs have millennial or Gen Z mentors. Jack Welch actually pioneered the concept at GE in the 1990s when the internet was just starting. And he had his top 500 executives he assigned them to get mentors. And he really deliberately used that word, which I think is so powerful. He said, get a mentor who's you know, an entry-level person at this company to sit with you and show you how they use the internet. 
So I met one executive now who said every week he goes to the millennial on his team and says, put a new app on my phone. You know, I want to see what you're using. I need to understand this stuff. I mentioned Estee Lauder and LinkedIn Learning. The CEO of Estee Lauder has a millennial mentor and they go shopping for makeup together, right? I'm sure he tells her tons of wisdom, but she shows him how she integrates her smartphone with the process of shopping for makeup. So it's so critical to make sure, particularly if you're a leader, that the people in your peer group are not the only ones you're talking to because you really have to be a leader, not just of people of all generations, but of customers and clients of all generations as well. Yeah, especially if you're a leader in a consumer brand. I mean, absolutely to, to get that insight on you know what the younger consumers care about, and I think it's so interesting. You mentioned this idea of reverse mentoring, and I didn't know that was necessarily a thing. But I think the next question I was going to ask you was about people who are, say, in their 40s or 50s, who tend to get a little set in their ways. We all do sometimes, right? And say, oh, this new technology, digital stuff, is for the kids. It's not for me. But I think that there's a big, that's a mistake. And there's a, there's a risk there that if you don't keep learning about embracing the new things, you're going to become a dinosaur and get left behind, right? And there are people that you can learn from. And I think you and I, we were chatting before this. I know you have been, you're very active on social media, right? On Instagram and LinkedIn. I've seen some of your stuff and I am as well. And someone in their 50s once complimented me on that, but said, oh, it's nice that you're so good at all this stuff because you're a native and I had to come back and say, no, I'm not native to this. I didn't <laughs> grow up in the digital age. I learned it and you can too. Just because you're 50 doesn't mean you can't learn how to use Instagram or any other apps in your phone. And that's how you're going to stay relevant to the times. It's so true. And one of the things I will say though, is it takes time to learn this stuff. And I watched tutorials. I had like an Instagram stories you know, person who mentored me on that because I, I didn't get it. And it took time. And I think sometimes because it can come so naturally to younger people, we think that it should be obvious to us. It is totally okay if it's not. And I think a corollary to that is when a company expects employees to adapt to a new software or to a new app, you have to give people time to get used to it. You have to give them tutorials. You have to give them training in it. Just as when young people come in and maybe are less comfortable with the phone, I think it's very similar to them. That's a new technology that they don't Mm -hmm. have as much experience with. You have to give them time to get used to that. Just to give you a really funny example, I think a really important question that anyone should ask a colleague, particularly of another generation, but really anyone, is I always ask people I work with, how do you prefer to communicate? You know, would you like me to instant message you? Do you want to use Slack? You know, do you want me to email you? And I was working with a millennial in her very early 20s who was working at a summer camp. And I was interviewing her for the book. And I said, I know that at this summer camp, it was a sleepaway camp. I said, I know that you're out with the kids and you're on the ground. You know, you're not like in front of a computer. So I said, what's the best way to get in touch with you? And she said, honestly, you know, I spend all my time on social media interacting with the kids. Best way to get in touch with me is to just slide into my DMs. (laughs) And Andy, I was like, I study this stuff. I said, I would be so happy to slide into your DMs, but you're going to have to teach me what that means. I just, I I just heard that. I just heard idea. that for the first time recently. And what slide into your DMs, it's an Instagram term, um, mm-hmm. is to direct message her, but on Instagram. And yep. what was really funny was I had emailed her to set up the appointments and she got back to me you know, a week later. When I DM'd her on Instagram, she replied instantly. So it was not just funny. It was in my best interest as someone who wanted to communicate right. with her to find the best way to do it. Yeah, that's so funny. I just heard that phrase recently. And I have noticed <laughs> as I reach out to people, 
you know, influencers, people that I follow that I may want to invite on the podcast or something like that, that Instagram DM is actually the most effective because I think it's the least crowded right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't be sharing this secret publicly. <laughs> but I also, I just interviewed this guy, Mike Kim on my other podcast, The Andy Stewart Show, who is 40. And he said the absolute best way to get in touch with him is Instagram DM. He responds faster to that than he does to text message. So to go back to your question, for anybody that you're working with, what's the best way to communicate with you? Because everybody has different styles that they prefer. And if you're calling and leaving me a voice message, I may never call you back because I hardly ever listen to my voice messages, right? But if you text me, I'll get back to you. And I think it's incumbent on the person who wants to communicate, right? If you can't tell your boss, don't leave you a voicemail, right? It's up to your boss if they want to do that. But to me, the number one tip I give, particularly on multi-generational teams, is you have to have a very open, honest conversation about how people want to communicate. Because you know, when I started in business, if you said, get in touch with Andy, I kind of had two choices. Either we worked in the same office and I would walk up and talk to you, or I would call you. That was it. There was no email. Well, now there are a hundred different ways that might be totally inefficient. So it's not just kind of a a multi-generational tactic. It's survival (laughs) to know how to get an answer from somebody and never make an assumption. I have so many older people who say to me, can you please tell millennials that I do use technology? I am comfortable texting. They don't need to speak loudly and slowly in person. And I have (laughs) just as many millennials say to me, I want to meet people in person. Don't use technology just because you think that I'm young. And you know, going back to your point about learning and development, lots of millennials want to come to in-person sessions because mm-hmm. they don't get that learning very often. It, it's considered special and important and they want to have private conversations and not just be on YouTube. So you can yep. never make assumptions. A lot of it is very personal. I love that. And I agree 100%. And I've said this many times on this podcast and other places. I think in a world where we are increasingly more connected you know, through all these digital options, I think the ability to build personal relationships and getting together in person is more rare and more important than it ever has been before, which is why I go to conferences and networking lunches and meetups to meet people in person because I think it stands out. It differentiates you from other people. And that's a big reason why I'm hosting my own conference later this year, the Talent Development Think Tank. It's going to be November 6th and 7th in Sonoma, California. And because I want to help people get together in person to to network, connect, and grow and learn from each other, uh, no matter what generation they belong to, because we all have things we can learn and we all have things we can teach. And speaking of teaching, we've got to wrap things up, Lindsay. But for anybody listening who is in talent development, who's thinking about creating that great employee experience and developing all the people in their organization across different generations, what's one or two more pieces of advice you would give before we go? When you're making a decision or planning an event, and I would say this to you about your upcoming event, make sure that you have input from members of every single generation. So I think that's number one. Number two is really challenge yourself to expand your thinking on different ways to get your communication out there. So if you're planning an in-person event, also live stream it. Also have somebody live tweeting it. If you're planning a virtual event, make sure that you get a transcript of it and you turn that into a blog post. So always think, what is a second, third, or fourth way that I can get this content to people in a way that I'm not actually presenting it? And I think that will always expand your options and give you more options in the future of how to reach more people of different generations. I love that. And I'm trying to embrace that now (laughs) as I repurpose more content from this podcast. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, this video of our interview will be available on YouTube as well. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, yeah. Well, it's great that you have that. (laughs) 
<laughs> but you look I great. I would have worn more makeup. Oh, and you've got gosh. a beautiful background behind you with your books <laughs> and the poster. You know, and I think authenticity is just, you know, the most important thing today. Lindsay, this has been great. For anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you, get the book, maybe work with you, where's the best place for them to go? The name of my brand new book is The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace, available on Amazon or your favorite bookseller. And you can find me online on my website and on all social media by my name, Lindsay Pollock. And I will spell it for you because it's a tough one. L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. P-O-L-L-A-K. It has been such a pleasure to be with you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Lindsay. That's Lindsay Pollock. Make sure you follow her, both of us, on Instagram and connect with us on LinkedIn. Slide into our DMs. Slide, <laughs> slide right into the DMs or just follow us. Lindsay, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom about working in the multi-generational workplace. I really loved it and I know our listeners as well. So thank you again for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.